in order to get to those places you want to get to, um, if you want to be CEO one day and you're currently a manager of engineering or operations or you're a sales leader, um, willingness to take the next chance, the next, uh, next opportunity is uh, probably the biggest thing. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm Jared Morgan. Today, we are going to grill some pork loin that's bacon-wrapped, feta cheese-stuffed. We're going to be doing it in the hot Alabama sun. Oh, my gosh. And we're going to be talking to Scott McFarland, former CEO of ProctorU, uh, my own personal business mentor. We're going to be talking to Scott about how to build yourself, how to build your team, and most importantly, how to land that big deal. Hey, Scott. How's it going? Great, Jared. How are you? Well, I'm good. It's so good to have you here. For those that don't know who Scott McFarlane is, Scott is international man of mystery, business guy, uh, wildly successful CEO, and my former CEO at Measure Learning, Proctor U, uh, a guy who I've worked with for a long time. And it was it's so excited to get him on the podcast because he's one of my business mentors. And so I would love to share some of his wisdom with you. So now that I've built you up, Scott, you got to live up to that. I'll do my best. So today we're going to be uh, talking a little bit about what Scott knows. Scott knows a lot of things, but what Scott knows about He's come into a lot of startups, and I'm going to have you kind of run through that history really quick. A lot of startups that, you know, were just getting out of their sort of garage band phase and needed to grow up. And while we're doing that, we're going to be cooking. I haven't even showed Scott this yet, so we'll see. We're going to be cooking a bacon-wrapped, feta-stuffed pork loin on the grill. So I'll see if I can. Our grill cam's not operable this week, so I'm going to go check that out. See if I can't slide it off the pan. You like that? Mm. Pork loin. You cut a pocket in it, stuff some feta in, wrap it with the bacon, hit it with the, some little garlic herb seasoning right there, and you're ready to go. So let me get these bad boys on the grill. Now, Scott, when was the last time you grilled? Yesterday. Oh, what'd you grill? Uh, just a couple of steaks. Nothing special. Scott has been... Uh, Technically, Scott is retired, and I keep gigging him about that because I, I'll say that I'll call him in the middle of week in the middle of the week to ask him something, and, and I'll wake him up for a nap. But I'm going to pull you back out of retirement for a second, Scott, and we're going to ask you some questions uh, about some of the things you've done. So first of all, you know, obviously you were with Proctor U for a year or two. Tell us a little bit about your journey as how you got there. You had a couple of companies uh, beforehand that you were CEO of before that. Let me start uh, from the move from uh, my original, you know, birthplace, Toledo, Ohio. Uh, came to Birmingham, Alabama on a on an op- job opportunity with a little company called Texan. Uh, Texan was a managed care information services and software company. And um, I stayed there for three or four years and helped grow it up and sell it. And uh, went from there to a company called Imagion. And I spent four or five years there. Magion was uh, was a company that we took public in 2005. And um, after that, I got my first CEO job, which was a company called Awerix. And Awerix was a patient care visibility platform. We uh, 
Uh, our founder was a guy named Gary York, kind of a local hero in terms of the software startup world here in Birmingham. And uh, Gary asked me to come on board as CEO and uh, help grow it. We sold that to McKesson, which was a big, you know, still is a big pharmaceutical company with a large healthcare IT division. And we rolled up under that, uh, f- under their uh, Horizon platform for uh, for a few years. Um, following that, I went to uh, uh, Aeroscout, which was an Israeli-based uh, tech startup that did location services in healthcare. And using RFID and other location technologies, we tracked assets and people and staff and patients inside of hospitals. We sold that to, weirdly enough, uh, uh, Stanley Black & Decker, which you would know for uh, DeWalt tools, probably not for healthcare stuff. But Stanley had a unique healthcare division in that if you had a baby in the United States, chances are uh, that baby was secured through an ankle tag that was produced by Stanley Black & Decker. Weird, uh, weird thing. But we rolled up under that division, their security division. Um, spent a couple of years a, a clinical communications and collaboration platform called Perfect Serve, and it was there that um, I was recruited by uh, Benjamin Cobb and Emerson Fan and those guys from uh, the East Side family out of Huntsville, and asked me to come and and uh, join Jared and Matt at Proctor U and it was uh, it was a big move for me because I had to had to take off my healthcare hat and see if I could put on an education tech hat. So that's there's the 5 minute journey. So that's kind of where I wanted to start talking. So you uh, were brought to us as a potential CEO. Proctor U was at a very pivotal moment in its history where we needed to really kind of grow up. And so uh, I remember we went and met with you. You said, "Hey, let's let's go grab a bourbon and we'll talk this out." And I thought is this a trap, right? I mean, this is the guy's offered me, he wants me to say no or no, but we, so we go and we have a drink and over that glass of whiskey, you said, listen, here's the problem. I don't know anything about education. And, you know, Matt, Jay, and I leaned in and said, uh, we don't need you to know anything about education. We need to know how to run a business. And that was really where we were at. And that's why I was so excited to have you on the show was because, that's you know kind of the role you played for me in business. You were a mentor for me and really helped our not just me but helped our business grow up. So you've done this a couple of times. When you go into a business and you start working with founders or early leaders in a business, what is the first thing that you usually see needs attention and where we need to actually focus to start growing out of sort of the garage band phase? I think there's uh, different uh, focus areas depending on the stage of the business and why I was asked to join. In some cases, there's plenty of capital and they just want to add to the growth uh, trajectory by adding adding some more you know, high octane fuel in sales or marketing or places like that. Or there's um, you know, kind of a burning platform, right? There's a, there's a financial <laughs> fire. And uh, in the case of Proctor U, it, that was more the latter, right? We had, we had run out of capital, we were burning, burning money. Um, at Awerix, uh, that was uh, really just a time for us to focus on sales and growth. And uh, Gary York, being a you know a tremendous entrepreneur and great engineer, uh, recognized that there was not a you know a good sales leader. So I I came in to do that. But I, I would say that generally speaking, when a CEO is brought in that is not the founder, um, in many cases it's a 
quasi turnaround situation. Whoever's operating the business at that point is not meeting the needs of the board or the financial investors, right? So you kind of have to focus on what is our profitability pathway? Um, is there you know a need for capital? Can we make it on our own? Uh, those those kind of things. I think that was probably the first thing that I look at when I go into a business is is um, what's our profitability pathway? How do we get there? Um, and of course, you got to determine, you know, what's the runway? Is it three years or 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 thirty months? And you got to figure out or three months. You got to figure out, uh, do I have enough capital to make that make that happen? Yeah, and and one of the things that I thought was so interesting about the way you led and it was such a good way for us uh, to kind of build our culture around was um, I'm going to paraphrase something you said, and then I want you to jump because I may not be saying it right. Oh um, but I remember early, yeah, early in our time together, I had an employee that wasn't doing so well um, and I needed to kind of coach them up and, and deal with something. And I remember before I went in to talk to him, you stopped me and you said, Hey, make sure that you make the correction that you're about to give them about the thing and the result and not about them. And so the, the, the example was this sucks. You don't suck, but this sucks. And that as silly and, and simple as that was, that was like a profound moment for me as a leader and how we started to build the culture around our company was to not to find a way to lead without being an asshole. To find a way to lead without people hating you or people to give people feedback in such a way that they want to receive it. And, and you had, that was like one little nugget. But where does that where do you get that kind of where did that inspiration come from? You know, I've had the opportunity to learn from a lot of good managers and leaders over my career. And um, I've seen it done well and seen it done poorly. Right. Where people target the person. And that just crushes a soul. And then they become a non-productive employee. If they're senior leadership, maybe they decide maybe they don't want to be there anymore and you lose really critical talent. So um, it just became, um, I think it was probably during my medical imaging technology days at Imagion where we went through so much uh, catastrophic failure uh, through, you know, product delivery, right? There was a lot of nights where I was on the phone with, you know, people screaming in my ear about a system that was down. And you really learn, like, first of all, how to take abuse well, and then realize <laughs> it's not really fun when you're on the receiving end. So you have to kind of handle your communications in a way that that is um, more, you know, more palatable to the um, to the receiver. Right. And so um, senior talent is really critical. When I go into a business, I don't necessarily want to make a bunch of personnel changes. I think that's a bad idea. I like to make sure that the senior talent that I have in that business is capable of doing the jobs that we need and understanding that nobody is perfect. There's always gaps. Every senior leader on your team, you know, operations, finance, engineering, marketing, sales, they are all, they are, they all will have a gap in their skill set. And so swapping them out, which I've seen lots of other uh, folks do, just seems, and bringing in your own team, right? Swap, swapping them out wholesale, bringing in your own team, just seems like you're setting yourself so far back from 
institutional knowledge, relationships, you know, just basic fundamentals of running the business, knowing what mistakes you've made before and not making them again. If you don't have those leaders there, then, you know, chances are you're going to, you're going to create more headaches than just figuring out where their gaps are and trying to fill them. Yeah, that's such an interesting point because you, you certainly did level up the talent uh, at ProctorU when you came on board, but it was very slow and strategic. And I found what was really interesting was every time I interacted with somebody that knew you from before, um, I never met anybody that had worked with you that wasn't ready to jump in and work with you again. And uh, and that was like, it really resonated with me because every time I spoke to someone, like, oh my God, that was my favorite boss ever. And, and you know, it wasn't just because of the success you were having. It was clear that you built really high functioning teams. And I think that was... Um, that was one of the for Proctor U for many years and, and still is today with Measure Learning. The one of the secret weapons that we had was the the people that we had on the team and how well you got everybody functioning and communicating. So, talk to me about that aspect because it's it's one thing to get everybody on the bus, on, right? The right people on the bus. It's an entirely different thing to make sure that everybody's communicating and and on the same page so how do you sort of architect your culture and your meetings and whatnot so that everybody's talking about the right things and all pointing in the same direction it's a great uh setup question because uh, i think it's probably the secret to you know if there is a secret for why i've been as fortunate as i have i think the leveling up term is good because it wasn't you didn't say the word replace right what we did is we added people that were that had different backgrounds and experiences and, you know, in product and engineering and marketing and sales, we added recruited people, but we didn't go take out, you know, a, you know, an entire senior leadership team in order to do that. We added as we grew and, and hopefully strategically filled those, those jobs. But, you know, when in a lot of leadership teams, the reason, you know, uh, I think it was Patrick Lencioni wrote the book, five dysfunctions of a team. Right. And, um, those uh, those dysfunctions are pretty common, and they're oftentimes ego driven. There's either you know some kind of fear or ego or um, you know just uh, status related questions about you know well I'm you know I want to get my project done or prioritized or or whatever over the other person, and so I think there is a humility angle, and I don't want to sound you know sort of you know. Um, silly about it, but there is a humility angle that if you don't, as a CEO, um, always act like you're the smartest guy in the room, or you're always the right, always got the right answer, or come up with the best idea, or speak first in a group setting. If you allow your team to focus on idea generation and um, conflict without um, without <laughs> aggression, I guess you know conflict without meanness. Um, and uh, debate uh, that and, and healthy debate about what the appropriate answer is and don't and, and don't get your egos in the way. I think that's the challenge with any leadership team is um, you create this really caustic and potentially uh, damaging uh, dynamic at the leadership team if you don't start out with humility as the as the as the basis right so, um, and a lot of people, I don't think, recognize this. I think your, you know, your prior CEO at Proctor U had a "I'm always right" kind of approach, right? 
Uh, one of our board members calls it wearing the Burger King hat. Um, you know, that's, it's just not, uh, it's not a good thing. And it, and it creates a dynamic where um, you actually compress idea generation at the leadership team. If you're always the guy with the first idea or the best idea or funding your projects first or whatever as a CEO, then that, that's, that's uh, stifles creativity, I think and uh, problem solving for the rest of the group. I want to switch gears. I'm going to check the port really quick while we, we go. All right, it's moving along. Okay, so uh, we had to stop the recording there because uh, for those of you that are not in Alabama, it is so freaking hot in this state that my equipment cannot handle me grilling out in the sun and recording me. So I've had to move once again under the shade, like I did last episode. Uh, so, Hey, thanks for coming on this journey with me as we get better <laughs> at recording at the grill. But we're with my friend, Mr. McFarland here, and I've got a great question for him. This one that I was really wanting to ask you ready, Scott. I'm ready. So we're going to shift gears a little bit. We've been talking about building teams and, and all of that. One of the things I think you were great at when, when we worked together at ProctorU was learning how to go and win the big deal, right? So we've got uh, lots of people that listen to this show that are getting started, and that one big customer could be the thing that, sh that changes them forever, right? Could be the thing that changes their business. Nobody was better at getting us dialed in and looking in the correct direction than you were. So if you're talking to someone who is about to go pitch a really big deal for their business, what are the little pieces of advice you can give them so that they're ready when they walk in the room? Oh boy, this is like the hardest thing in the world. That, that question and what makes a great sales guy? Um, or like, well, yeah, there's your next question. What makes it right, great? No, go ahead. Makes it great. I mean, if there was a recipe, uh, people would be, uh, People would be cloning them right now to, to make them up. But, uh, man, big deal, large deal, complex deals, long sales cycles, all those things, trying to get to a, a win um, in a highly competitive environment. Um, there's, a, there's a bunch of things that are just sort of basics. I've grown up through the, you know, all of the selling revolutions of the 80s and 90s and early 2000s where, you know, it used to be, make a bunch of calls and do a bunch of proposals and demos and percentages of close and all those things to get to a, a particular number number, but getting to um, a large deal, it means that you could, you could be working it for two years, right? And most large deals are committee based. They're uh, from a decision-making standpoint, you aren't going to get to one person. So having multiple angles into the account is really important. Um, because they take so long, people can leave. And so your buddy that you worked a deal with for seven months uh, now has an offer to go somewhere else. And you just lost all traction in that account. Um, the other thing, and I think this is a common mistake, is that you're pitching what you do to the customer and the customer is really trying to solve their problems, right? And so now they have to make the link between what you do and how that might solve their problems. The changes in selling, uh, particularly in large complex deals over the last 20 years, 
um, we used to have to educate first, right? And then sort of evangelize and then hope you find the early adopters and then the early majority in any given market. A lot of that is gone now because of the internet. And whether you're buying a, a new toaster or you're buying a enterprise medical record system or an ERP system, you're doing 80, 90% of your homework on the internet without any uh, sales assistance or support. Same thing, like, you know, you go buy a car, you don't go to the lot and the guy walks you around anymore. You've already figured out what you want and you know more about it probably than the sales guy. So I guess where, where I would go to is how are you differentiated and understanding your customer's business better than they do and telling them things about it that they don't know. So um, I think uh, in our space, understanding how people cheat and how many they cheat, how many people cheat, what percentages and what types of cheating methodologies and all those things, telling them about their business and what you can do to help them solve those problems is, is the way to do it now. Because they already know about you. They've already done their research. You aren't going to go in and do a dog and pony show and a PowerPoint presentation. You need to skip to the last place and say, let me tell you things about your business that you don't know. And let me tell you how I can help you understand more about how to solve those problems. It's like the, the most common thing you see people, inexperienced salespeople do, is come in, kick the door in, they walk in and they're, you know, let me show you. They open up the thing. Which one of these do you want? Let me show you. Let me tell you about the circuits here. Let me tell you about these. It just, you know too much talking about them and their their own products and their own and that seems like oh yeah isn't that sales but but high end sales big time sales is a lot of listening right and a lot of um the best sales guys uh last episode on here we had Luke Reimer he's one of the best right yeah um the best sales guys what they do is um find a way to help the person that they're talking to you know, you're not here to sell them. You're here to help them. And when you get to that place, that's where you can really uh, move the needle for people and actually, you know, get them to buy into what you're doing, to believe in you, to believe in your solution, all of that. It's always about trying to find a way to help them and not just walk in. Um, used to have a derogatory term for it that I won't say on the show, but, you know, you did. And I won't, <laughs> I won't say it, but uh, the... You can't walk in there, um, you know, just showing them what what you, what you have for sale. You have to actually walk in and look to understand their problems and the problem that they're trying to solve. And if you can't solve it, then you got to walk away, right? Or you got to you can't be that person that's going to oh, you could you know you got you got to uh, retain credibility in that way. Yeah, I was just going to echo that same thing. It's uh, you know if you if you can't help them. How much credibility? Look, look at what we learned in the last uh, two years during COVID was uh, the strength of saying no, that we can't help you. Or we can't help you right now. And the power of no, when a customer asks you, you know, about a deal or can you get a better price or all of those things? I'm sorry. This is this is it. This is the best yeah. we can do. And uh, the power of no is uh, is strong. Right. It's uh, it's the old, um, you know. You always want the, the the date that you couldn't get, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> that's right. Um, so that's uh, 
I think that's really important. And it shows that you're credible. If you can't help them, but you can point them to a place where they can get help otherwise, um, people are looking for long-term partners. Customers, large customers are looking for long-term partners. They aren't looking for saving a dollar or two, right? That's that uh, certainly in their, you know, that's in procurements uh, head, but but not in theirs that are trying to solve a problem. So, uh, yeah, I, th I think all of those notions are exactly right. Last question. I've got a, I've got this is the big this is the big takeaway. Uh, we got a whole bunch of listeners that uh, are early in their process of building their company, um, and they're trying to be somebody. We also have people that aren't building their company; they're just trying to build themselves into something. I know a little bit about your background. Uh, you started, you know, putting lugs on jeeps right in a factory. And you rose from from literally a factory worker bolting things on the cars all the way to where you were a CEO of multiple highly successful software companies. How does a person who is on that on the bottom, how does a person grow into where they ultimately can go? How did you do that? What what things do you have to do to put yourself on that path? That's a, a good question. And I have, uh, you know, the cigar shack, right? So uh, in the back, and the Cigar Shack doubles as a, uh, a career counseling uh, center for a lot of young guys that I have had the opportunity to work with. And you mentioned, you know, where I've had numerous people come and work with me at different companies over the years. And, you know, the names and the lists are long. And I, I love the heck out of all of those all of those folks that that uh, have have worked with me. And in every case. Um, I think there's one thing that I was able to do and not, maybe not everybody is able to do because they're not comfortable with it, but I was always willing to take, uh, additional risk in exchange for additional reward and sacrifice what, what I would just call current income. So taking on, uh, you know, a, a more responsibility in a job knowing that it's a higher risk, potentially higher reward through equity or whatever. Um, but I was always, always willing to take the next job. I didn't, I didn't know anything about sales when I got hired at Texan and I was a, and I turned into a sales guy and I didn't know anything about, uh, M and A after I ran operations at Imagion. And I certainly had never become a CEO at um, at Awerix, uh prior, so I had no experience there. So I listened really well to the people that I respected as mentors. I retained good relationships with them, and I was always willing to take risks. And when I didn't learn, when I didn't know something from an experience perspective, uh, I have a whole library of books <laughs> sitting right over here, um, and that's what I did. Right, you try to learn, but I think. The willingness to take risks, to leave what is potentially a cushy gig, whatever that is, right, and then take the next leap, that is, it's hard. But uh, in order to get to those places you want to get to, um, if you want to be CEO one day and you're currently a manager of engineering or operations or you're a sales leader, um, willingness to take the next chance, the next uh, next opportunity is uh, probably the biggest thing. 
And then there's, you know, there's probably, you know, seven layers of other stuff you got to do too. But being able to internalize the risk reward structure and be and and being able to take a lower salary in order to get a higher equity stake in the business that you believe in um, uh, will will help you from a financial success standpoint and uh, hopefully long term from a career standpoint. That's awesome, Scott. Let's check the pork one more time. It's coming along nicely. I don't know if you can see. Are you on your way over? Yeah, I've way got over. two. Okay. I can send one back with you. That's that's really good. Scott McFarland, thank you so much. Thank you for bearing with me in the the amazing traveling. You know, I had to travel ten feet to get this uh, this podcast episode finished recording. Thank you so much for being on the Slow Smoke Business Show. Of course, and thank you, Jerry, for having me.